I'm going to invite you to join me in Romans chapter 13. I said invite, I should say I, I require. You, you join me in Romans chapter 13. That's where we're going to be today. A very, very important chapter. I know all of them are, but this one is important too. And yet, as I read to it, read it to you, I I know for certain it will uh, bring thoughts to your mind very quickly. Uh, for some, it might uh, even upset them a little bit as they hear these words. Uh, it will thoroughly challenge you. I know. Uh, there is much here that uh, we are called to do. And you're going to say, perhaps, but that is hard to do. So we're going to uh, listen chapter number 13. There's only 14 verses this time. As I read, every person is to be in subjection to the governing, uh, the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. Those and they have opposed and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in the saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Do this, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousings and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Heavenly Father, with your word in front of us and the challenge that we have just read through this, we come before you, first of all, and ask for your help. We not only need to understand this, but we need your strength to do what you call us to do. Our desire, more than anything, is to bring honor and glory to your name and to testify of that before this world. We live in a very difficult day. 
And some of these words strike us rather close to our hearts. And uh, we ask that you might uh, instruct us in this time. Remind us again of your deep love for us. The fact that you are with us. And as we walk through the course of this world, we are not alone. We have our Savior with us. We rejoice in that. We rejoice in the fact that uh, your word is written for our good, for our edification. And we need to be edified today. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in the duty section, obviously, in the book of Romans. He's all of a sudden saying, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And what's wonderful to me in this section, as he does give us all these things that we are to be mindful of in doing, he's already told us what God has done. The first 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 chapters, we've seen so many of God's good things that he has done. And the conclusion of all that was that he was to get the glory. As we go into the duty section, the conclusion of, the, of all that is that he gets the glory. Alright? We haven't changed that fact. And when we see it therefore in chapter 12, and we start moving into these passages... Uh, they are our responses to what God has done and what we should do to bring Him glory. To bring Him glory. Last week we were in chapter 12, a rich chapter, a beautiful chapter, a very meaningful chapter to us. And we found that uh, He calls us to present our bodies as living, holy, acceptable sacrifices. That's a huge... But one that we... We take and we seek to do. That is our personal devotion to God. That's our response is a personal devotion to God. And I trust that's where you are. That you know that you are not only bought with a price and you have to glorify God with your body, but that these bodies are sacrifices that are rendered up to Him. The things we do with them should be holy and acceptable before His sight. That was Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And we spent a little time last week in that. Today we look at our public devotion to Christ. The public devotion to Christ in chapter number 13. And I'm going to uh, address our attention today to verse number 14 as our main verse that sums up the whole where he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. That's going to be our our sentence walk through this passage. In a sense, you could sum it up in a single word. We say, Christ-like. Christ-like. What is our public display of what he has done in us? What should the world see? It should see Christ-like people. Because that's His work in us, right? We saw that in chapter 8. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. So publicly, guess what image should be visible? Christ-likeness. That's the essence of chapter number 13. These, These responses that we have as believers, in light of all that God has done for us, in the fact that He should get the glory in us. We have a private presentation before God. Our personal response is that we 
would be devoted to him personally. Chapter 12. But it doesn't stop there. Because we also have a public presentation to make. And that's before the world. Our public response, our external uh, uh, external image that people see in us ought to be a personal devotion to Christ. Publicly shown. Publicly shown. There is so much that Scripture does with this this understanding here. I think back to First uh, Samuel, in chapter 16, uh, King Saul had disobeyed the Lord, and uh, the Lord came to his prophet Samuel and said to him that uh, uh, he has disqualified King Saul from being king. He has chosen another man to stand in his place. And he said to go to the family of Jesse, and there you will anoint the next king. Now Jesse had a great number of sons, several to choose from, and and Samuel was not told which one it would be. So he went with a preconceived concept in his mind that, uh, of course, the Lord might want the oldest one. And as soon as the oldest one came into the door, well, there was an all the more reason to believe it because his appearance struck Samuel as a kingly type of guy. His stature was such. His, probably the way he walked, probably his chiseled look on his face or something. I don't know what it was. But he thought, king, when he saw this man. That was his first reaction, outward appearance. And the Lord spoke to Samuel at that moment and said, don't look at his appearance. Don't look at the appearance. Don't look at the height of his stature, because I rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, that's a true statement on both sides there. Man looks at the outward appearance, right? You know, that is what we're limited to. For, for pastors, we have a limitation in this. We would love very much for somebody to invent the device that tells us what goes on on the inside of people. It will sell. I know it will. <laughs> Pastors would love that. Kind of like a, a little device that kind of registers when you walk in the door. and It, it may be a color-coded thing. They're, they're this way or they're that way. or Not mood rings maybe would help. I don't know. But we, we, we only have an outward appearance to work with. And, and that's kind of interesting in, in many ways. It could be a positive thing, by the way. And it could be a very negative thing, by the way. Because if all we can see is the outside, how do we know their devotion to the Lord? How can we tell if they're devoted to the Lord, if it was just based on outward appearance? You know what Jesus once said? He said, by their fruit you will know them. So are there things we can measure? Yeah, we can. We can see things. Now, we have to admit that that's a limitation still. That's not perfect understanding of what we need to know, but at least we get a good clue. When we talk about a personal devotion to God, of giving our bodies as living, holy, acceptable sacrifices, 
that can be done and nobody may never see that because it's inward more than anything else. It's a, it's a personal thing. But today we talk about that public thing. What people do see. And in a sense they're like object lessons. They're, they're, they're quite easy to understand. Sometimes very hard to do. Now, I noticed how Drew was all dressed up today. He always comes looking so sharp, doesn't he? You look at Drew and you've got to ask, is he going to a wedding? Is he going to a funeral? Is he showing off in front of his wife? Is he here to impress us in the way he's dressed? Or maybe he has no other laundry and that's it. We can draw all kinds of assumptions, can't we? And most of them would be absolutely wrong. But the assumptions are out there. We could say, well, what is, what is the deal? Why is this? Why is this? Why is this? We, we use the illustration often because we see it in Scripture where the Lord tells us to put on something. And that generally is an outward manifestation. Put on. Put on. Walk with me for a couple of passages here. I think they're, they're uh, well, they're in somewhat of an order, so it's easy to turn to. But Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24. You see the, the words put on right there. At least the New American Standard Version uses that. You might have similar phrases to that. But what are you to put on in verse number 24? The, the new self, the new nature, right, which is in the likeness of God. He says, put on the new self. Chapter 6, same book. Turn a couple of pages. Chapter 6, verse number 11. What are you to put on? The full armor of God, right? Put on the full armor of God. Uh, look down at verse 14 while you're there. What are we to put on? The breast, it says, Put on the breastplate of righteousness, right? Toward the end of the verse. So there's another put on verse. A couple of books later, Colossians chapter 3. Verse number 10. Colossians 3 verse 10. Put on the what? The new man, the new self. There it is again, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Chapter 3, verse 12, just two verses down. Put on what? Look at this. A heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If we're starting to put all these things on, you start to feel like you've got quite a number of layers going. Put on this, put on this, put on this, put on this, put on this. Verse 14, move down two more. Put on what? Put on love. There's another one added to it. Oh, you're not far from Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 8. Put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. Boy, that sounded kind of like Ephesians again, didn't it? Similar kind of idea. Now, go back to our Romans passage. You know it's in verse 14. But back up. Back up just a little bit. Verse number 12. Put on what? 
the armor of light. Put on the armor of light. Now, those things that we just went through here, you would say, well, they're, they're behaviors. They're attitudes. They're, they're, uh, they're convictions. Not exactly physical clothing, but they are outward manifestations of what we believe, of what the Lord has done in our life. These things are visible of our personal understanding. It's one thing to claim to be a new creature in Christ. It's another thing to show by putting on the new self. We can talk about love. We can talk about compassion and kindness. We can talk about gentleness and humility. We we can talk about patience and other things that you might call virtues or characteristics. But showing them is the action of putting them on. Showing them. Sometimes people show things to deceive. Sometimes they, they... put things on to to get others' attention. Jesus talked about the Pharisees, those hypocrites, who had the ability in Matthew chapter 6 to put on a gloomy face when they fast, so that they may be noticed by men. We can be pretty good hypocrites at times, can't we? We could put on something that may not be true of our heart but we could put the outward appearance before man. That's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. But what we're going to look at today, I believe is a safeguard from play acting. The safeguard from seeking attention. I I believe this verse 14 is a standard that we need to, to understand. For the physical display of the believer who is devoted to God is one who will put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the lust or the flesh in regards to its lust. Let, let's, let's look at the word carefully for a minute, this idea of put on, so we can understand. Uh, actually, the definition of the word is, is compared to putting on clothing. Real simple concept for us to understand. To put it on. To put it on. It's an external type of a thing that goes over one. To put it on. But I found it very interesting in in digging through the the thesaurus. The concept of the word is to sink into. Sink into. Uh, to, To settle into something. Now, what that implies when you settle into something, where you sink into something, is that it's going to endure. It's going to last a while. Like when the the teenager sinks into the couch. He's not planning to move anytime soon, is he? You got a, a concept of sinking and settling down into something. So, this is the nature of a word we're looking at here. This isn't a temporary just for a moment, you know, it, it should last for maybe an hour and a half when I'm in the church service kind of put on. 
But this has a more enduring concept to it, a, a, a longer duration concept of putting this on. Now, let's, let's add a little flavor to the word, because I, I like to do it this way. I define the word, as my Greek students learn, parse it out, and they say, okay, and they start to tell me what the various aspects of the verb is. Uh, you've heard me use the word imperative before, and you know that's a command. This is an aorist imperative, which makes it a, uh, a very definite kind of command, an urgent type of command. It's not an option, by the way, believer. Listen, I'm listening too. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is not a, a good suggestion to try. It's not something you're put on your, this is going to be my uh, resolution for the year. And I'll go at it for about two or three weeks and then, you know, how resolutions generally work. This is a command. This is, a, this is not optional material here. He says, put on. And he suggests it as an urgent thing to do. And I would say in our day and age, it is an urgent thing to do. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the world needs to see him. Put him on. This is what it says. It's an urgent, as if, as if you've never done it before, do it now. Begin now. That's an error's command. It's kind of the, the heavyweight ammunition being used here on us when we read such words like this. It's a decisive act. It's a determined act. It's a committed act. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's, that's rather powerful. But you know what that means? It's not accidental. It doesn't just happen, and you don't know how that happened. It's intentional. It, is, it has more to do with our will than maybe what we really wanted. Because this is now a place where, folks, we are either obeying or we're disobeying. Don't you hate when those are the only two options? <laughs> you, sometimes you'd like a middle place in there somewhere and say, uh, well, let me, let me just kind of work my way slowly into this. He says, no, do it now. Urgent. Do it now. So we, we see that is a flavor of this word. It's a decision based on, since they followed that big therefore, chapter 12, based on all that God has already done for you. You know why? I, I take that therefore, and I see these chapters, and I say, shouldn't I, in light of all that he's done for me, willingly, eagerly say, Lord, what would you have me to do? When I read this chapter, he's saying, this is what I have you to do. Why does my soul jump away from it? When I should want it more than anything on earth. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who do you love more than him? Put him on, he said. Put him on. The display of Christ in you, that's what he's calling us to do. There ought to be an exclamation point after the words put on. That, I think that would, would give it the emphasis. That would show us he means it, and it's something to be taken seriously. Now, it's contrasted, though. Just so you know, when you see verse number 14 begin, it starts with the word, but, 
So there's a contrast. The contrast backs us up into verse number 13. These actions that are to be put off, if you want a word for it. Put off. What's he say? Carousing, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, sensuality, strife, jealousy. Put them off. I could take you all over the New Testament and show you verses just like that. Put it off. Put it off. Put it off. If you have any of those on, put it off. That's not in keeping with what God has done in our life. Now, there's really more to it than just say, stop doing it. (laughs) Wouldn't that be easier if you just say, okay. Boy, that would solve every counseling situation on earth. You just walk up and say, stop. And they say, okay. And then it's over. But that's not the way it generally works. It's because the actions might be there, but we have, I'm going to use this phrase, a storeroom. We have collected things in the storeroom. And I believe the storeroom is referenced at the end of verse number 14, where he says, make no provisions for the flesh in regards to its lusts. Let me, let me picture it this way. If you got a pantry around the house somewhere, probably do. you got a pantry, and in that pantry you keep the flour, and you keep the sugar, and you keep the spices, and you keep you know those items that you would call supplies that you bring out. You, you stir them all together in the bowl, and you, you make something for a meal. Verse 13 says, don't make the meal. Verse 14 says, and don't even collect the supplies. Don't even keep them in the pantry. There's where our problem lies more than any. Do you not realize that? We make provision for the flesh. We have the pantry full of these things. The ingredients for sin. And the physical display that comes from it is what we just read in verse 13. That's what the world sees. They see the outward things because there's been provision made inwardly. Now, we could spend a whole lot of time on that subject, perhaps, in that point. We could, we could talk about the vices of our world. We, we could uh, talk about the things that we're so ready to embrace and, and our failures and all those things. But the book of Romans is concerned with the cure is concerned with the the action of a believer devoted to God. And so, rather than highlighting all the put-offs, he just simply says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a decisive act. It applies to all believers. Not one of us are exempt from that. It's not just for special individuals. You don't just do this on Pastor Appreciation Day. You would probably expect it of your pastor, right, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? You have that expectation? I hope so. Would you expect that of Sunday school teachers and elders? We would. Would you expect that uh, of all the others who serve in the church, uh, ministries of every kind? We would. Is it right for us to expect it of every believer? Absolutely. Alright, so none of us are exempt. We know that. We are to, if I use the same words I gave you before, 
and it sounds kind of funny perhaps, sink into Christ and be in no hurry to leave. That's a put on. Now, with all that we want to explain, perhaps, of how to put on, put on, he just tells us to do it. And then, in chapter 13, as you have already seen, these are the various arenas in which this display is necessary. Arena number one, verse number seven, in reference to governing authorities. He said back in chapter 12, at the very end of verse number, or at, in verse number 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now God has designed government to be his tool. He has designed it to enforce and support what is good. He has designed it to punish evil. He designed it that way. God did. Sometimes, you might notice, government doesn't follow him. And they do not practice the things that they were designed to practice. Peter would tell us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, to submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Hear those words right there? For the Lord's sake. To every human institution. Whether to a king or to one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake. But what if the authority is evil? Verse 3, what does Peter say in verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 3? Rulers are not a cause for fear, for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Here it is. Do what is good. Do what is good. Second thing he adds to this. He also adds in this sense, since they are ministers of God, in verse number four, who else are ministers of God? As a believer, raise your hand. You're one of them too. What do ministers of God do? What God calls them to do, serve the Lord, right? If they choose not to serve God, is that an excuse for us not to serve Him? No. Far too often, I think that's our reaction that's so quick, is that, uh, well, if they're not going to do what's right, I don't have to do what's right. Uh Uh-uh. We're ministers of God. We're called to do good. And that's always the case. That will never change, regardless of who's in authority. Remember this as well, and I could take time to show it to you, but I I won't right now. They are responsible to God, too. They've been given that task. And they will stand before Him, and God will hold them accountable for their work. But He says in verse 5, particularly, that you are one who must protect your conscience in this, too. What's that mean? When you do evil, do you not know your conscience is very active? God's designed it that way. When you do good, your conscience is at peace. When you do what is good, he says, it is necessary to be in subjection. For not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. 
So not only is the right thing we are called to do, but as we do that, God gives us a peace in it. Even if the governing authorities are not following his way, the believer must follow his way. We must continue to walk. This is how Peter would say it again in chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. This finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrow and suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and you are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. Is that what we want to do? Find favor with God. He tells us later, Peter, I could go through all Peter's stuff here this morning. Come tonight. and I, It's all Peter's stuff. Been that way for four years. But here, Peter, chapter 3, 15 through 17. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. He says this. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. But do it with gentleness, and do it with reverence, and keep a good conscience, he says, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. This is protecting your conscience, if you will. As you do what is right, God gives you peace in all this. He also told us, by the way, we are to render what is due to them that it is due to. Render to all what is due them. Remember the day that Jesus was confronted with the, the Pharisees and others who came up to him and asked him, Do you pay the poll tax? He said, Bring me a coin. And then he showed it to him and said, whose picture is on this coin? Whose image? They said, well, that's Caesar's. He said, then give it to Caesar. It's his coin. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And render unto God the things that are God's. Who do you belong to? Do you not belong to the Lord? Then render unto the Lord the things that belong to the Lord. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This he tells us in verse number 7. Render to all what is due them. Well, some need tax, so give them tax. Some want custom, give them tax, custom. Some need fear, give them fear. Some need honor, give them honor. What do we give to the Lord? What is due Him? Our very lives, our very souls. That's what Jesus said. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Render unto God the things that are God's. Consider this, if you will. Sometimes you get the impression that our days are pretty tough. When uh, Paul wrote, who was the leader of his world? Nero. Nice guy, huh? No. When Jesus lived, who was the authority over the world at that time? The Roman government. Not easy day to live in either. When we go through the kinds of governments and such we've seen over the years, sometimes we say, but our society is different. It's hard to be a Christian. It was hard to be a Christian all the way since it started. 
Every generation has gone through the same struggle. And no matter how you figure it, folks, no matter what kind of excuse we want to set up to say, because ours is a different situation, no matter how you do it, to behave godly in Jesus Christ will never change. Every generation is called to it. Every believer is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, unless, and then add an exception clause. We are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ in reference to authority every single time. Every time. We are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ in reference to our neighbors. I know some of you look a long ways down the road until you see a neighbor. But the principal word we saw in verse 8 through 10 was love, right? He said love. Well, that's kind of Christ-like, isn't it? Of course it is. We're supposed to love because that's the way Christ loved us as well. We know the things that are not Christ-like. We saw those. Verse number 9, committing adultery, murder, stealing, coveting. Those are all sins against one's neighbor. Verse 10 says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. So ask yourself a question. Real simple thing. If Jesus were your next door neighbor... What would you expect him to do in reference to you? Would you like that? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be a visible display of him to your neighbor. Love the neighbor. As Christ would. One more thing. The time is short. 11 through 13 speaks of time. Not the time on the clock, but as believers, we have this understanding that Christ is coming soon. I hope you believe that's true. I do. Time is short. If ever there was a time that we ought to live godly, it's now. It's now. And he says, wake up, verse 11. Get busy, verse 12. Behave properly, verse number 13. All in reference to putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Like I said, it's a decisive thing. It's a deliberate thing. We could easily just stay asleep. We could easily be uh, uh, bored and inactive. We can easily behave improperly. But we're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our public display. That's what people should see in us. When I was at uh, Moody Bible Institute, there's this great hamburger place, Grease Galore. That wasn't the name, but that's what it was. Oh, it's great stuff. But we'd go over there to buy our hamburgers because not only was it just delicious, but they gave us discounts as Moody students. And I don't know what it was, the way we cut our hair, the way we combed it, the way we looked. I don't know. We'd walk in the door and they'd say, Moody student, and they'd take 10% off. We didn't mind them pointing the finger and saying, Moody student, because they could identify us. When's the last time somebody said, believer in Christ, when they pointed at you? Have you put on him sufficiently that people see that's your devotion to him privately? 
You see how the chapters fit. It calls us into a tough world, I know. A hard environment. But it says, nevertheless, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our calling. We need help with this, so let's talk to the Lord. Heavenly Father, these words are going to ring in our ears and in our hearts for quite a while, and I hope so. Because they have made an impression on us that we are called publicly to display the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, you know us. You know the challenge that that is to us. You know our environment, and yet you still tell us to do that. And as your children, we submit to your will. Perhaps even now there are some who are making a fresh commitment in their own heart to surrender themselves according to your will, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to wear him publicly at work, in the neighborhood, at school, the places that they must be this week, perhaps even among family, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ is what we're called to do. Impress that upon us, Lord, so deeply, so so urgently that we know that's that's exactly what we must do. Do your work in our hearts, Lord. We want to please you in all ways, not just in our personal devotion, but in our public devotion as well. Do your work in our midst, Lord, to your honor and to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.